0: You're about to watch a great interview on TYT Interviews. If you wanna watch them live, members are the only ones who get to do that. TYTnetwork.com slash join. Become a member. Enjoy the interviews
1: as they happen. What's going on guys, this is Sam Piker, and we're unveiling a new segment right now where I get to interview some of my favorite artists, some creatives, some brilliant people, and talk to them about political and social issues. Specifically for the first episode, we brought in Chromio, the funk legend from Canada. We talked about Canadian socialism, and even the good Dr. Jordan Peterson, and much more. So check out In Studio with Chromio now. What's going on everybody? We have a really special episode today. We have the Montreal funk legends, Dave One Maklovich and Patrick Pitha Gemael, the duo uh, that is also more popularly known as Chromio here in the studio. We're going to talk about a variety of different things. Uh, Identity, uh, background, Canadian uh, socialism, uh, Canadian doctors that are very famous on the internet. It's going to be an awesome show. Let's get started immediately. I'm very excited. I'm a huge fan of you guys. And also, we have a lot of uh, mutual friends and and followers on, on Twitter. And that Twitterverse, and what did you call it—the woke uh, Twitterati—yes, earlier. Uh, What do you, what do you, who do you think brought people together? Because I think I want to give a little uh, platforming here to Aisha Siddiqui. Yeah, I
0: think she was like a good, um, like about uh, almost ten years ago I started following her, and then through her.
1: Damn. Technically 10 years ago I think she was like probably 16. If she was, was she? if she was still like future casting or trendsetting at the age of 16 which well, maybe was I don't 10, doubt maybe it. Was it 8 years ago. Seven, yeah. yeah, but still she's a genius. Like yeah. she's like a underground undercover uh genius. I think it's she's awesome. Um, but yeah, everybody kind of knows one another, right? Um, it's it but it's probably like Antifa socialist propaganda I assume like we all <laughs> we all get together and we we think up uh, of different ways to own uh, Conservatives just kidding, but let's talk about your background. So um, you want to start off Dave just to give us a little briefer Cuz yep. as you can see they're <laughs> fashion icons They're they're music legends and we're lucky to have them in the studio, oh, but yeah, we're,
0: we're lucky to be here. We wanted to be here um, I am Uh, Born in Montreal, Canada. My mother is born and raised in Morocco. She's a a Moroccan Jew. Um, She immigrated to Canada in the 60s. My father is born in Montreal. His family is from Eastern Europe. Um, Grandma's from Poland and that kind of um, the old world. And, um, yeah, I mean, a, a Moroccan... Uh, Sephardi and an Ashkenazi Jew marrying in those days was very controversial. It was like cons- it was actually considered an, inter- an interracial marriage so it was crazy like the stuff my grandparents used to say to each other and stuff but um, and uh, we grew up in a French speaking household at a time where uh, the fight for Quebec independence was sort of had a very xenophobic undertones so already there was some weird identity stuff growing up um,
2: But yeah, so that's my background. What about you, P? So I'm uh, born in Lebanon, Beirut, Lebanon, during the civil war that had started uh, in 75. And my father is Lebanese, my mother is Egyptian-Italian. Lebanese Christian, (laughs) right, P? Lebanese Maronite, yes. Yeah. Um, So I grew up there most of my childhood until six, seven years old moved to Egypt for two years with my grandparents to get away from from the war that was the first step and then we moved to Canada when I was about eight years old. How did you guys meet? We met at a French lycée
0: where a lot of in Montreal where a lot of uh, people from former French colonies send their kids to because they have
2: sort of a distrust yeah, of the of, of French Canadian system and language. Most <laughs> it's mostly about the language,
0: the accent, because the the local yeah. you know French Canadian accent is kind of like alienating to these people who grew up speaking you know post colonial French. Yeah, so they send their kids to a Frenchly safe where it's all French professors and, and the French trust, curriculum. Yeah,
2: because but also me as a Lebanese kid, I would go to French school in Lebanon. That's how yeah. I started, and for me, it, for me and my parents, it just made more sense like to continuation. Keep, continuation. Yes. So mm-hmm. you
1: guys come from this uh, this crazy uh, melting pot of mm-hmm. identity and background, and um, and you guys grew up a, a little political, right? I yeah. feel like, yeah. and, and um, mm-hmm. let's so you're, what's your how would you describe what your political identity is, if you don't mind me asking?
0: My my dad, I come from a pretty overtly political family. My dad is a linguist, and he studied Chomsky and linguistics um, in the 70s. Incredible. So in that time, you know, obviously for my parents growing up, you know, Foucault on the French side and Chomsky on the Anglo-Saxon side, those were just like sort of, they were heroes. Those were their idols. And when you were a linguist and you were doing Chomsky and linguistics, naturally you would follow Chomsky and politics as well. So um, I guess I I, I grew up in in an openly socialist family the word socialism was never tarnished in growing up for us, partly because we lived in Canada as well. Um, And Canada has a socialist party. The NDP in Canada is actually, it's officially uh, a socialist party. And to make things even more complicated, Quebec, which is like our province, right? So the Quebec separatist party also built itself a socialist party because of the like xenophobic undertones. We had like ambivalence towards it because we were French. Like this is the thing between Patrick and I that's in common. One of the many things that are in common is we identify as French Canadians, but when we were both growing up, there was tremendous xenophobia Associated with the French Canadian nationalist independentist movement. So we didn't know where to belong,
2: kind of. Right. Yeah. I mean, also as an immigrant, you don't quite know where you belong when you, you know, you move into a country and you're just like, okay, which kids do I hang out with? Yeah. Who's going to take me in? And all of a sudden, that's how, that's sort of how you form your identity. Coming, you know, coming into Canada at eight years old, you're just like, okay, um, I guess I'm gonna listen to hip hop because this is, you know, what I identify with. What um, were your, what did you guys like in the realm of hip hop? Oh, but before we get
1: to that, actually, what what yeah. would you describe your political uh, stances?
2: Um, my family's, I mean, <clears throat> gro- gro- going through a war, the stances are a bit different. Yeah. Oh, for uh, sure. <clears throat> you look at politics in a different way. <clears throat> and it's much less scholar and it's more like, I'd call it gut politics. Yeah. So my grandfather was always a guy, I don't like this guy, I think he's a bad guy, no. (laughs) You know, it's just gut politics because they've seen so much stuff and so much corruption and so much that there's a point where you kind of lose the scholar aspect. You mean the academic? The academic aspect of politics and you're just like, Man, like I've seen b- b- bad people on both sides, so now I'm just gonna trust my instinct. But you're
0: also from a very—he's from a very prestigious political family yeah. in Lebanon. And... The Gemayels.
2: Oh, yeah. So, okay. Basically, my two of the the Kennedys of Lebanon basically totally. were. The Jamiles. Well, like the, I'm
1: glad you guys survived, unlike the Kennedys. Yeah. So. <laughs> the movie waltzing, waltz with Bashir, waltzing yeah. with Bashir.
2: It's like the oh, same, that's
1: about your
0: that's about your great uncle. Is that what uh, it is? It's
2: my cousin, my father's second or third degree cousin. Oh damn.
1: It's good yeah. enough.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's good yeah, enough. Yeah, I mean that's that's yeah. that's awesome. So it's deep. Yeah. So, but on top but of even, that, but even even then, you know, those politics were run just gut instinct. You know, it's, it's <laughs> don't m-
1: give it away, dude, you're but like, Lebanon, Lebanon they didn't know, so they were crazy, just running right? it on gut instinct. Lebanon's like
0: proxy politics yeah. for the whole yeah. Middle East, it's like a microcosm
1: of all the yeah. proxy little, so many different factions, so many crazy. religious backgrounds. Yeah. All- it's, mo-
2: it's more about, yeah, there's like 17 different religions represented in the Lebanese, okay. you know, house, so you have to learn more about coexistence than actual politics.
1: Yeah, And then you throw like Western influence on top of that as yeah, well. in exactly. clo- yeah. the history of colonialism and then you have yeah Lebanon and yeah. I guess other regions of northern Africa. But um, let's move on to music a little bit because you guys are obviously musicians. So um, what was your what were your influences uh, growing up as far as music?
0: We were hip hop kids and we met in high school. In um, that at that French lycée and then we di- d- discovered like funk music together Which to us was like the archaeology of hip-hop because it had all the samples. Yeah. that's li- literally how we in our generation yeah. how we discovered it so it that's how we kind of became fascinated by funk music because it felt like the archaeology of hip-hop music and we became Funk nerds and eventually through different projects and so on we started chromio at a time where we felt like we were sort of like rehabilitating this 80s music that most people thought was just tacky and funny yeah. and it took us a while to kind of almost give it credence because people thought we were being ironic and it, you know we ride that fine line whereas our music has a pretty heavy sense of humor and but it's also very self-aware but it's also very very earnest and honest we're two music fans fanatics mm. we just wanted you know we kind of came up under the Beastie Boys where you could be <laughs> you could be self-aware funny serious credible and satirical and yeah. also. Rap about cheese. But also be taken seriously and have yeah. like the most cred and yeah. all of, and the respect, you know? So we always kind of wanted to write that ambiguous line. And here we are 15 years later, yeah. it's almost 15 yeah. years later.
1: Yeah, all right, well, now I wanna make a heart pivot from music to something that's been going on because we talked a little bit on the phone about this, like um, one of the one of the more pressing issues that at least boggles my mind is the uh, treatment of Palestinians in the hands of the Israeli state. Yep. Basically, uh, currently a, a sovereign state in the in the Gaza region, and is an open air prison. That uh, it, it seems like it's an open air prison, and, and I wanted to hear your backgrounds as um, as uh, people who are uh, from a Jewish, uh, from Jewish faith and and the Jewish upbringing in Canada, like what you. Uh, potentially think about what's going on there.
0: I, I, um, I, I couldn't disagree and disassociate more with Netanyahu's Israel. I am staunchly in solidarity with the Palestinian struggle and I'm very vocal about it on social media. For me, as a Jew, it's important to show that there are moderate Jews who are not Zionists and who actually believe even more philosophically, there's a philosopher called George Steiner, a French philosopher called George Steiner, who, who believes that like sort of like the metaphysical destiny of Jewish people is forever to be wanderers, and that even the question of a homeland for Jews is problematic and maybe not necessary. That might offend some of my family who lives in Israel or people yeah. who write me on Instagram mm-hmm. who live in, in Israel, but I have really constructive conversations with them. I think for me, you know, as a very, 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 very left-leaning Jew, um, first of all, a, a religious state, and we can talk about that with Turkey as well, Yeah. right? A religious state doesn't make any sense to me. For sure. Right? So then already that Israel's a problem. Um, and And obviously the occupation, the progressive occupation of Palestine, the blockades, checkpoints, more importantly, the settlements, mm-hmm. to me are just like, um, their infringements on 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 human rights and on on um, on any kind of like moral and political conduct that I stand for. So
1: that's where I am. Yeah, I feel that. Um, and uh, that area is supposed to again, similar, almost similar to Lebanon. It's supposed to be symbiosis of
2: different cultures, different religious uh, backgrounds. Yeah. yeah, but the the difference is is that it wasn't a natural symbiosis. Yeah, true. Lebanon was not constructed. Lebanon came around. The Christians have been there since Jesus Christ. Yeah, and so were the Muslims. So were the Druzes. So were you know the 17 different communities in Lebanon. They grew up together instead of being implanted, moved others aside 50, 70 years ago, and then have they've never had to deal with such a hard rupture like. And my mom
0: being from Morocco, in Morocco. um, Same in Morocco. Like Jews and Arabs lived in harmony. You know, my mother speaks Arabic. Her family growing up was extremely imbued with Arabic traditions. And so there's, I guess both our parents come from uh, countries where there was more of a syncretism and like kind of a coexistence of cultures. So obviously the clashes that we see in Israel are, are very hard for us to accept.
1: Yeah, I mean we're. I feel like we're a bunch of globalists here. So I mean that's that's where I'm at at least. Like I, I grew up in Turkey, which is, it, it, which is the the offshoot of an imperialist power. Obviously the Ottoman Empire, but I grew up with uh, not really understanding hard lines uh, surrounding identity because right. we don't necessarily have that. It's definitely more of a homogenous or not a, a homogenous of, the like a. Uh, how do I describe this? It, it's it's definitely a melting pot that right. has been rather successful. You, Obviously, there's still oppressed minorities yeah. uh, within uh, Turkey like the Kurds, but- um, Most for people, the, I think, identify as Turkish. Yeah, exactly. Before they
2: identify yeah. as- yeah. and there's no colorism Muslim, yeah.
1: either, which is very interesting. And I think that colorism is largely an aspect of of, of Western influence or, or mm. colonialization in these, in these areas like Latin America. In, in Africa, so um, we don't have any of that. So I can dream, and I'm assuming just like you guys can dream of a future where these two, uh, you know, these two sects can live uh, peacefully and coexist. Mm-hmm. Um, but currently, you briefly uh, mentioned Netanyahu. I think with under Netanyahu, Israel's stance has become increasingly more militant, and I think it's a problem mm-hmm. that yeah, and I think it's a problem that extends far beyond. Uh, just uh, Netanyahu now, I mean, all of the people that Netanyahu is appointed into positions of power are also war hawks and they are also militant. And then on top of that, there's a more conservative, uh, there's a more vocal nationalistic conservative uh, right wing that's uh, coming into power. And uh, I fear that in the aftermath of Netanyahu, who may or may not go to prison uh, for corruption, we might have a, an increasingly more militant Israel.
0: Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a New Yorker piece that came out a couple of years ago about that, and what's disturbing about it is that there's a generational turnover in Israel yeah. where you have basically people who grew up without the idea and the ideal of peace as something in the horizon. If you're in your 20s right now, that was never even in the cards. You grew up with the Intifada, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's not even like a distant dream, whereas People, you know, of our, our parents' generation, they remember. They have this kind of golden, idealistic, golden era of of Middle Eastern politics that they can sort of dream of going back to somehow, or of reviving somehow. But if you're too young to remember that,
2: yeah, exactly. I mean, I I never knew Lebanon not at war. I've never seen that country not at war. Yeah. So I kind of identify with. These k- kids growing up in Israel and not having ever seen it at peace, yeah,
0: mm-hmm. and it's, it's it's yeah, it's harder for them to imagine any
1: kind of solution. Um. Yeah. Mm. So, but let's talk about potentially uh, America's involvement and influence over what's happening there as well. I mean, because. Uh, We've seen, uh, over the past, I would say, decade that I've lived here, because I've only been living in America for the past eight years, almost 10 years. So now. we
0: all face the same criticism, yeah. right? Because like, yeah. when people want to, when there's pushback against us speaking out, it's always like, well, you're not from here, Yeah. you've only been here for 10 years, what yeah. are you talking about? Yeah. Exactly. You're in the same boat as us for that Exactly, mm-hmm. and,
1: and well, you guys are also like, you have French accents, you're yeah. from Kansas, <laughs> so then you're written off immediately. At least I don't have like a yeah. Turkish accent, yeah. so people, people, People are people at first are like wait a minute Hassan that doesn't, doesn't sound doesn't sound like what you look like I don't know about that but yeah usually I uh, yeah it's like go back to your country you know white power that sort of yeah. basic stuff but. Um, what I was gonna say is um, the American infl- uh, the American involvement in what's happening in Israel has also been significant The reason why I want to talk about that is because are you guys familiar with Ocasio-Cortez? Yes. Yeah. So first let's talk about uh, her victory and potentially uh, socialism uh, Having a resurgence in America mm-hmm. and like socialist principles not mm-hmm. just not necessarily like full-tilt communism as someone may not at all People think all
0: full-tilt communism.
1: Yeah um, but uh, in America especially because of the Red Scare like People can't differentiate between socialist principles and mixed economy and and like full tilt authoritarian totalitarian communism.
0: Where, um, I mean, ironically, north of the border, there's an example. I know <laughs> of of a functional social democracy.
1: Yeah. yeah. Actually, you know what? Before we even talk about Cortez, I actually want to ask you guys something because I've seen a lot of uh, like everyone I meet from Canada is usually super nice. I know that's a stereotype it but is. like it's kind of I for me and for a lot of Americans it's like kind of true where everyone is very polite in comparison Politic. to Americans uh-huh. right uh-huh. Um, I don't know if that means that they're nice but they're definitely uh, more polite especially more polite than like people from New York uh, what I was gonna say is but then there's always, the other side of things where they have like really fascist leaning political commentators that are they're just. I feel like it's a hotbed for that. Well, Canada. Stephen, Stephen
0: Harper. Before uh, yeah. you know, um, Stephen, before Stephen, Peter, Peterson. Stephen before Harper. Trump. Yeah. Stephen Harper. He was. Yeah. Our, he was our nightmare.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and then you have, and then you have pundits like. But I'm talking like white nationalists.
0: Oh, what's Homegirl's name? Um,
1: Lauren Southern. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think Faith Goldie is from Canada as yeah. well. Um These are all like people who originally propped up uh, as like libertarians. Yeah. American libertarians even though they were Canadian and then they decided like uh, You know screw the whole libertarian thing. We're fascists now
0: or, I feel like that's the case for a lot of people who use the, the term libertarian. That's yeah why That term's a slippery slope either
1: though. either you go from libertarianism to like socialism and you make a full like yeah. a, a full 180 shift uh, in your perspective where you go from libertarianism to anar- anarcho-capitalism to inevitably fascist yeah. uh, leanings inevitably yeah. to like uh you know, an ethno state. I don't know why Oof. that happens, but, um, but yeah, what what's up with that? Why is why is Canadian politics so extreme? With, with every example that we've seen, it's like either people who believe in socialist principles, or then you yeah. have, on the other hand, you have people who are like, no, we we should have a white-only state. I'm gonna go to South Africa to make a documentary about white it's, genocide. Uh, um, yeah, <laughs> what Canada's is that? Canada's
0: plural too, though, right? Because like yeah. a lot of those people are from the western part of Canada. Yeah, and. For instance, the province of Alberta has had a history of way more right-leaning politics. It's also like an extremely rich. It's sort of like they call it the Texas of Canada. Yes. It's, it's, an exactly oil rich, it it's an yep. oil-rich. It's an oil-rich province, aka state, mm-hmm. American equivalents. And on the western side, there's been, and also there's a there's a um, there's a wealth inequality in Canada where a lot of the western Completely. provinces felt like they were paying the bills for. <clears throat> The eastern side, Quebec, the Maritimes, and we, have, we in Quebec have the cultural specificity, we're French, but it's a super poor province. Mm. So those are the internal dynamics that I, I think contributed to give rise to like this Canadian right-wing thing. How it got mixed into identity politics, we weren't privy to that brand of it
1: at least, right? No, Caribbean. yeah, no. Um, I mean, they're all they're all doing Everyone's doing the same brand of identity politics. It's just flattened
0: by social media. Yeah, right? Sort of like homogenized Homogenized by social social, Yeah, normalized and
1: and and Not only normalized, but yes, like uh, there's no nuance to it. Like all of the nuances completely gone It's just uh, if you're white you're right or or uh, usually on the other side when when people criticize like uh, any sort of progressive form of form of identity politics. It's like, oh, you must hate white people then. You just want, uh, uh, one of the most, uh, uh, one of the strangest things uh, that I've always uh, seen with Black Lives Matter, like anti-Black Lives Matter protests is like, it's very, it, they, they always claim that it's inherently racist. Uh, it's just reverse racist right. against mm-hmm. uh, white people for some weird reason. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've never understood that when it's identifying a problem that impacts all. Uh, Americans,
0: it's a, like we used to say it's a st- it's a systemic problem.
1: Yeah, right. It's it's
0: it. I mean, uh, um, you know, Ava's documentary. You know, it talks about a systemic institutionalized problem.
1: Yeah, exactly. But um, since we're on the subject of identity politics, let's talk about at least my favorite identity politician. Not a politician, but uh, my favorite doctor, the good Victor. doctor, Jordan <laughs> B. Peterson, Peterson, who does it Paul for white horny boys, AKA incels. <laughs> yeah, uh he, he is, he, <laughs> he is kinda, the
0: incel spokesperson. He dude. is, he is. He, he's, he's, he's the incel intellectual.
1: Yeah, he's the intellectual of incels. He intellectualizes a lot of the pickup artist community, red pill stuff, right. um, which is filled ironically with a lot of pseudoscience, even though he himself is a, a respected uh, until recently, at least, respected uh, clinical uh, research psychologist.
0: With chapters in his book such as you should pet a cat when you see one on the street, <laughs> keep your back straight, and let your children skateboard.
1: So you're referring, yeah. you, you jumped immediately into 12 rules. Um, yeah, okay, I'm sorry, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, <laughs> An Antidote to Chaos by Jordan Peterson. It's a New York Times bestseller. Yep. Um, I wanted to get your perspective specifically, Dave, because you were a college professor at uh-huh. some point yeah. in your life. Uh, and uh, but I mean this was before the whole uh, the this was before like social justice warrior uh, yeah. concepts yeah. kind of took uh, you know kind of exploded on college campus I feel like because I graduated in 2013 you, you were in the mix you no I the... graduated in 2013 from Rutgers and and I felt like I was at the precipice of all of it I totally missed it though. you missed right. it yeah even I, I missed, missed
0: it, it. I mi- when I was at Columbia and Barnard um, obviously. At Barnard, there was some pretty significant uh, identity politics there. At Columbia, when I was there, which is literally like from 2002 to 2008, it, it, there, n- nothing that I saw sort of disturbed my worldview. You know, you've, it, it was all pretty um, tame. But then again, then I read, I was reading The Human Stain by Phil Roth, mm-hmm. which is incredible. It's like a book about a Jewish, it's about um, a Jewish academic who we learn was black and spent his whole life passing himself for a Jew. Oh, and wow. he teaches on an American campus. So anyways, I was talking about that with Ezra and in, in, maybe identity politics have been a fixture in Amer- on American campuses for longer than we can remember. So maybe it comes in waves. It probably did, cause like we, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, it's, in a weird way, uh, Jordan Peterson does identify uh, genuine criticisms of the left. And I don't think the left is above criticism. I think not. we do deserve criticism, yeah, yeah. specifically in regards to certain things that we do uh, that could be deemed as anti-free speech that get in the way of uh, building a robust coalition against the what I and what a lot of people have correctly identified as the resurgence of fascist principles here right. in America and worldwide uh, in the form mm-hmm. of nationalistic movements. So um, we're having a hard time uh, garnering as much support as possible and I think that uh, if people in the left were more critical of some of the things that we're doing, then yeah. then um, we could potentially have a stronger coalition. But I feel like someone is someone like Jordan Peterson, who is very obviously a social conservative, who analyzes everything from you know a Jungian, uh a traditional a Christian traditionalist perspective, yeah. uh, who self admits to being a social conservative. Yeah. Um, usually is criticizing the left to disparage and vilify every form of collective action, which again, he has mentioned multiple times. You just have to kind of sift through the 17 hours of lectures before you finally arrive at the, the meat where yeah. he does give it away. Yeah, because there's a lot
0: of slogans too, because there's this whole self-help thing yeah. as well. That's it, like the carrot that lures people exactly.
1: in. And and to me, like I, I don't personally think Jordan Peterson is is uh, the worst person on the right, uh, mm. as a lot of people. Get. But I think they like, some of the criticisms that he gets, maybe even a little overblown. But I think it stems from the fact that just like you mentioned, uh, the whole self help thing, and, and and the fact that he hides his ideological background. Yeah makes him seem as though he is looking for objective truth. He's yeah. seeking, he's only preaching the objective truth. He doesn't have any sort of political ideology that that uh, he's guided by.
0: And then as soon as you go, well, what is objective truth? What are you talking about? Then he says you're a postmodernist, and then he's, cause he's got this whole like anti-postmodern. He identifies, he talks about postmodern fascism. So any kind of like things are relative, truth is in flux, blah, blah, blah. No, that's a no. Yeah. And, Uh, It it makes no sense because his conceptions, uh, a lot of his tenets are are based on like these crazy binaries, you know, where like he'll he'll spend hours talking about men versus women, relationships between men and women, and
2: they're based. And relationships between alpha males and the rest of us. Yeah, Yeah, we can't get all the females, so we should redistribute the female Population, like that's incel right there. Yeah. That, yeah, no, that's it, intellectualized it, incel. I don't know. Are you
1: guys familiar with pickup artist stuff at all, uh-uh. or like the red pill community? No, because well, a you little guys, bit
0: marginally red, red pill community, yes. Yeah,
1: so like the red pill community kind of started off with uh, all of these PUA blogs originally yeah. that were feeding you the red pill, the truth about women, yep. and like female hypergamy was one of them, which is the this idea that women always want to level up. I'm giving like a very primitive analysis of it, but right. women always want to level up. They're always looking for a better partner. So men constantly strive to impress women and that's why we've built these phallic skyscrapers <laughs> and whatnot, it's its like somewhat pseudo-scientific, but I see the, the reason, the basis for, for which that you derive these ideas from. But then on top of that, there's the 2080 uh, theory, which right. is a, I think it's an economic uh, it's an economic principle or something, where that they've applied to distribution of sex. 20% of the guys have sex with 80% of the girls, so then the that's, 80% of guys are what, yeah. are just left out in the dust. That's um, incel. That's these are incel exactly 101. Like
2: un- indirectly suggesting that we redistribute the resource of women yes. to all men, which is insane. Yes. Yeah. Like yes. when you just dissect it, yeah, it's insane. It's, it's yeah, well, it, and sexually then, and frustrated
0: phallocrats. Yeah,
2: but it's <laughs> yeah. but it's great that we're in a period where this guy can come out and we can identify him. Yeah, no, he's this guy is coming out of McGill and Harvard, University of Toronto. Harvard yeah. has University some of, of the Toronto. worst academics, if you ask me. But there's a
1: lot of there's a lot of professors at Harvard. If,
2: if he then, wasn't. He, if he was, if he didn't have a platform to speak out for us to identify him, he would be a respected scholar. You know, he's a great rhetorician, and
0: he he he. That's what I low-key admire in people like
1: him and Milo. I was just gonna say that. Yeah, they're very skilled communicators. Incredibly skilled. Yeah, communicators. they're like performing. It's like theater. They're very well, good at well, it. Well, Milo would
0: love to say that what he does is, is is performance art. Yeah. Right. He would hide under that. Yeah. But I. I, I I studied yep. rhetoric in my grad school and and i admire I, when i watch of course when I watch milo q and a 's like i, I want, my blood boils and i want to die, but <laughs> the guy can have the guy can cook up a zinger
2: yeah, but that's <laughs> the thing that's the thing with rhetoric like re- rhetoric has to art. be with yeah, but it has to be with a conscious you know ideally well not 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 know? in a pre not in a pre
0: socratic way I wish there was someone on the left who was
1: was as yeah.
0: as sort of
1: adept and, and virally you know, eloquent, yeah. let's
0: yeah. say, for lack of a better term. Yeah,
1: I'm trying. It's not yeah. working, you guys. No, it I'm is. not gonna lie. It is. No, it no, it is, right. it so, is, That's
0: why we, yeah. I don't, I mean, like, that's <laughs> why we like you.
1: No, I, uh, like, there is There is definitely this. this no, but what, you, you, what, you're it, you're you close said, to it. Oh, well, thank you, yeah. I don't think so, but. Uh, On your way. What <laughs> you just <laughs> mentioned about uh, even analyzing uh, someone like Milo and being able to see their strengths and analyzing someone like, like I've, that's the that's the way I grew up. That's yeah. that's I, I analyzed all of these people who I thought were successful, especially in American political discourse. I looked at Stephen Steve Bannon yeah. once mm-hmm. he uh, came to the forefront of yep. political discourse. Uh, Milo Yiannopoulos uh, as soon as I, I caught wind of him, and and Jordan Peterson now, and I think that we should be able to kind of study what they're doing because there are elements so. uh, that make them very successful. Most importantly, they're very skilled communicators and then the yeah. other thing is they identify anxieties. Jordan Peterson is totally. incredible at identifying the frustrations of of many uh, individuals. Obviously, that's the reason why he's been able to captivate millions of people. And so, ima- sorry
0: to crush you, know, but imagine no. if there was someone, I, I mean, there, there might be, and I, I just haven't Come across the person, but imagine if there was someone who was able to identify the anxieties of the American working class that voted for Trump in all the sw- in all the swing states. Yeah, right. And to identify and to pinpoint what their concerns are and what their it's even worse than anxieties, like neuroses almost. Yeah, and traumas, insecurities, and insecurities, like, that's, traumas. That's manipulation, though. That's- Meh.
2: I it, it, don't know, it, I call it politics, yeah. but you it,
0: pinpoint you pinpoint those anxieties and you make a very a compelling nowadays viral compatible performance yeah. and argument and discourse around it and then the left will have a uh, uh, would have a chance to sway these people back.
1: Yeah, unfor- but we also in America especially we have a we have levers and power set in place in order to continue uh, down the same trajectory that we're going. Uh, yeah. On the left specifically the Democratic Party is an institution that is far too powerful that right. that is completely given up on leftist principles um, There was a I guess like McGovern is like one of the lower Ralph Nader, but he ran yeah. as independent Like Levin we is, had
2: mm-hmm. we
1: had certain yeah. um, You know, we had certain uh, Political figures that prop up every 10 years or so yeah. that immediately get squashed by the democratic institution And it's been incredibly difficult to To push for more progressive messaging, especially from a a fiscal perspective. Because, like, fiscal, uh, like, so many people that I know in America. Or are quick to say, oh, I'm socially progressive, but fiscally you know, conservative. conservative. There was a meme about that last week. Yeah, <laughs> you said, I know. I you, was you gonna repost
0: it. it, they drive me nuts. Yeah. That, that thing drives me nuts. Or like, what is it? There's it's like, oh, problem. you
1: hate the problems that are created, but you also you also don't mind the, the reason why those problems are exactly. in place. Or in, I, in I European,
0: it, but. In, no, but that's what it is. And Or in European parlance, it's, I'm uh, economically liberal and socially liberal. Yeah. Right? Oh, liberal. Yeah, because liberalism liberal and is like, European, completely different yeah, in Europe. Liberal, terms, liberal yeah. in Europe, meaning capitalist, yeah, capitalist, but also you know, sort of like the, the the economists rides that line. Yeah. Where for them, the free market solves everybody's problems, but also they they have this kind of like pseudo open minded liberal in American sense. Political slant. Yeah, I don't like you say. I don't think the two can be compatible nowadays.
1: Yeah, no. I it's it's the tech the tech world is actually a pretty good place to totally. to to identify that because totally. they're like, oh yeah, no. If 100%. you're trans, gay, uh, black, white, doesn't matter. Come through. We will use you as as serfs, basically. Like we'll create wow. a tech serfdom. It's just more labor for us, so we don't mind. Um, but yeah, look at how how, how open minded we are as we exploit everyone around us. Um, you know. Uh, deflate wages as best as we possibly can, and create an environment that is inhospitable for people that are making over 200, uh, 250000 dollars a year. I'm referring specifically to San, San Francisco, Francisco. <laughs> yeah, and the homelessness right. issue there, and and uh, like how. Terrifying mm-hmm. the demographics are over there. Like how that demographic change has been so rapid and so significant $80,000 80, so a year So
0: yeah. $80,000 a year or something I saw it was a crazy stat that $80,000 a year was low-income now 100%
1: I think uh, it, it's like the median is uh, $170,000 that's insane and people look at that <laughs> and, and we, think we, like this we, is we, good Like people look right at that and right. think like, oh, well, we have more thousands right, airs, yeah. more thousandaires I think it's the it's the I'm gonna butcher this quote, but and we also have to wrap up. We have five more minutes left ah. in this, unfortunately, which we're just getting started. And it starts, yeah, I want to do this. Yeah. I want to do very, like a longer conversation yeah. with you guys for sure. But um, it was the it's the butchered Steinbeck uh, quote that I love that I always mention, and it's um, it's uh, socialism will never work in America because uh, the people of America don't see themselves. As an uh, exploited proletariat, but temporarily embarrassed millionaires. Right. And um, obviously, like Great Depression era. It's it's a paraphrase quote. That's not he doesn't ex- he doesn't actually say that. <laughs> but yeah. um, you know, only, I love that.
0: only in New York is there something that's akin to the French what they call in France the caviar left. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: Oh, or, or champagne socialists. Champagne yeah. Social. Exactly. The caviar left. That's hilarious. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, but I mean, Obama uh, recently gave a, a, a speech at, for, at, the, at the Mandela Foundation, I think, uh, yeah. and where he talked about income inequality, which is interesting because I think he exacerbated income inequality in America uh, greatly by uh, taking Bush's uh, tax cuts that were supposed to sunset in his right. reign and, and solidifying them, even though he was, uh, he was criticized heavily. And Not increasing corporate uh, the corporate tax rate or or the tax uh, rate for the 1% in any meaningful way um, But you know, he's the, the elites are talking about it My understanding is this is like the main conversation at Davos and at these sort of like rich people summits is right. like how do we deal with these very poor people that we're making even more poor Right. Uh, by hoarding all of the wealth and resources That's the, that's the Thomas Piketty book. I have no idea. What is, what it's is this, it called?
0: It's, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the reference after, but it's this French economist who wrote that uh, about the the sort of growing inequality gap between the uber-rich and the, uber, the extremely disenfranchised. Yeah. I think to to go back to one thing that you were talking about before, and when we talk about those those like alt-right or neo-right-wing figures that we sort of low-key... Not admire, but like spy, when we try to spy on their techniques and yeah. kind of like respect some parts of their communication strategies. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the socialist awareness in America, that shift can come through culture, which is another ban and tenet. He's the first one. He was like just
1: downstream in politics. There you He's go. Right. One hundred percent.
0: Yeah. And so I think the shift can happen on the to the left's advantage with a lot of stuff that you guys do, actually. Yeah. That's why we wanted to come here.
1: Yeah. That's <laughs> we're that's what we're trying. We're yeah. trying to we're trying to be a good uh, gateway into opening people's minds about. Um, like certain realities revolving the economic system that we're living under but
0: through a contemporary cultural dialogue. Yes And a and a and a and yeah a
1: millennial friendly. not like democracy now is what you're saying, which right. is great I love Amy yes. Duman, but like yeah, 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 democracy yeah. now is viewed by what like four people. Yeah, <laughs> like four four like uh, Like communist Jews living in like Idaho or whatever Are like the My only dad. people are the only people still giving money to democracy now unfortunately. <laughs> this was incredible Thank you guys so much for coming in yeah. I hope years. we can You've do a longer conversation yeah. down the line because uh, this wasn't enough for me. I don't no, know if it no, was enough for you guys.
2: No, yeah. you didn't get to Sasha Baron Cohen. You didn't get to Sasha Baron Cohen. Oh,
1: shit, you're right. <laughs> All right, well, check out Head Over Heels, Chromio's fifth uh, studio LP. Mm-hmm. They're incredible, and I hope you guys had a great time. Is we there anything did. else that you guys no, want to say? No, this is great. It's great. We're content. Thank you. All right. Yeah, thank you for having, for having us. Guess.
0: If you liked this interview and you're at the end, so apparently you liked it a little bit, thank you for watching, we really appreciate it. You can watch them live as they happen, if you're a member, only members get that. Go to tytnetwork.com join, and you get not only interviews live, you get the Young Turks live, you get Aggressive Progressive live, old school, and
1: all the commercial free. Come join us right now, tytnetwork.com join.